0: Hello and welcome to Podding Dirty, the bloggingdirty.com Atlanta Falcons podcast. My name is Harrison Naylor. I'm joined today by fellow bloggingdirty.com staff writers Adnan Ikich, Kevin Knight, and for the first time, James Hicks. With the exception of the Super Bowl, the NFL Draft is the biggest event of the season, and the Falcons had a lot of boxes to tick going into the proceedings. Armed with eight picks and a few fresh eyes in the front office, Atlanta put together a quality draft with a good mix of talent, value, and addressing needs. Let's take a look at the selections made by the Falcons, and what they mean for the team going forward. With the 8th overall pick, the Falcons addressed a pass rush that sorely needed an upgrade taking Vic Beasley from Clemson. Extremely athletic and highly productive in college, this pick was hugely popular amongst the majority of the fan base. Adnan, what's your assessment of the Vic Beasley pick, and what can he do for this Falcons defense?
1: The Vic Beasley pick was the best-case scenario for the Atlanta Falcons in the first round. You're just watching the draft, hoping that one of these pass rushers falls, and Vic Beasley fell right into our laps. He's the guy that Dimitrov wanted, he will immediately address the needs of the passing defense. He is one of the best pass rushers in the draft. He is the best pass rusher on third down in the draft. He has a quick first step, and he can develop into something really special in Dan Quinn's system, and he could be the centerpiece of Dan Quinn's defense in a few years.
2: Yeah, um, I, I loved uh, the Vic Beasley pick, like Don said. It was essentially the best case scenario for the Falcons, assuming, you know, Dante Fowler uh didn't fall all the way to eight. Um Big Peasley is by far the best pure pass rusher out of all the, the players in the draft. Um you know, he's got some well noted deficiencies against the run, but getting played at at the Leo spot where he's gonna basically make his living on the Falcons, he's Going to basically be charged with, you know, hitting the quarterback every play if he can. I'll um, probably try to offload a lot of his run stopping duties as much as possible to make sure that he can basically go after the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I, you know, we didn't have to trade up, didn't have
3: to do anything. Slam dunk pick in my book. Yeah. Um. It was. I was shocked he even made it that far. You know, in our in our staff mod. Everyone had Randy Gregory and Dupree mostly. I had done so much research on Dupree, I'd basically just written off Beasley. But uh, the Jags, when they took Fowler, I was a little bit worried. But then the Raiders did us a favor by passing on Williams. And then the Redskins did us an even bigger favor, taking uh, Brandon Sheriff. And then Jets went best available and not only left Kevin White for the Bears, and it it worked out absolutely perfectly. Couldn't have been better scripted. We got the guy we wanted, the guy that wanted to be here. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen his press conferences, but everything is just so exciting. He's he's so pumped to be here. And, you know, people are worried about him taking plays off. But if he's playing for his favorite team and everything, he's got as much motivation as he needs. I'm just, I'm excited. He's the best pass rusher in the draft to me and probably the best polished pass rushing moves. Uh, hopefully he can come in and contribute day one.
0: Yeah, the uh, you mentioned the excitement factor as well. How so many teams, so many players, rather, seem to be wrapped to be taken by the Falcons. It actually was a really pleasing trend. Not that players aren't going to always claim that you know they got taken by the team that they wanted to go to, but everybody in this class really seems to genuinely want to be here and to have already bought into the system uh, that comes through the interviews and meeting the staff, obviously. So with the Beasley pick, that was that was just an exceptional part of it. I mean, he dressed day on uh, draft day. He dressed in the red and black of the Falcons. So it, all the stars aligned, like everybody said. Um, he's already claimed to be a double-digit sack player as well in an interview. Uh, I don't really know. This has obviously been done to death, this first round, pick. It was just so exciting coming on day one where we've possibly had a bit of mixed success in the past. We've actually been doing quite well on day ones recently, but we really needed to address the pass rush. We needed to fill that need, and we I think we did it. We did it perfectly.
2: Yeah, phenomenal player. I think I think he has the potential to come in and be a double digit sack player. I don't think that he necessarily will in year one, mainly because you know if you look at how the Seahawks defense plays, it's you know it's what Mike Nolan should have been doing with his scheme. Like there's a lot of pressure coming from all over the line. So I think well I think he could get you know eight or nine sacks. I think maybe next year is when he takes off and becomes that double digit sack tear.
1: Yeah, I couldn't believe it when the Redskins took a sheriff with the fifth pick. That's when I really started to hope. That's when I thought, wow, one of these pass rushers, whether it be Beasley or Leonard Williams, one of them is actually going to fall in our laps. That was just a beautiful moment. There's always Anyone but moment... Shane Ray.
0: Yeah, basically. There's always that moment where you see that there's more players than remaining picks until your team's picking. And you just, you know, you're doing the maths, trying to eliminate people. And yeah, like you say, there was a moment where I was thinking well, Williams is falling, so surely Beasley won't get taken before then. Like, he's going to be on the board. And I just I couldn't believe it. I Like James mentioned, I'd already written it off in our all of our mocks that there was no way he was going to be there, so we'll look at Dupree, we'll look at Gregory. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty much just a perfect dream situation. Moving on to the second round, despite inheriting two quality cornerbacks in Desmond Trufant and Robert Alford, Dan Quinn decided to add to the defensive backs with a somewhat surprising selection, uh, cornerback Jalen Collins out of LSU. A big physical DB with excellent speed. Collins was selected over plenty of the offensive talent that was left on the board. Kevin, what's your take on the pick, both in terms of what Collins brings to the team and also what we left behind on the board?
2: I think the Falcons decided to go with Collins for a couple of reasons. One of them was that I believe he probably was the top top, um, player left on their overall board. Um, Collins, to me, was my number two corner, not necessarily because of talent, Uh, I was turned off by Marcus Peters and his, you know, getting kicked off the team. That pretty much took him down. And I think he's – I thought Kevin Johnson was a little too handsy. So I had um, Collins right behind Trey Waynes. Um, He's raw, but he is a perfect corner for Dan Quinn's scheme. Um, Quinn, you know, he loves his big guys, his physical defensive backs, and Collins has the athleticism to match. Um, I think he ran like a 4-5 f- uh, or something like that. 4 4 either. In that area. Four four eight, yeah. Um, so he's got the speed to keep up with all but, you know, the freakish guys like Julio Jones. Um, and we've got, you know, Desmond Trufant for that. So um, Collins, you know, he's raw. His technique is going to need quite a bit of work. Um, and he uh, he only started 10 games, I believe, at LSU. Um, which just blows my mind. I don't know how you can keep someone with that much natural ability on the bench. But um he uh he is probably just the best overall player left for them. I think uh I think Dan Quinn didn't want to roll with Robert Alford um as his second outside corner. Um so this lets Alford move into the slot where he's probably a better fit overall because of his size um and uh you know, potentially you know, I don't know that Collins is going to be great this year, but you know, in 2016, the Falcons could have a really scary uh, three cornerback group. Um, and it was, you know, obviously some fans didn't like the Falcons chose to pass on. You know, Jake Fisher, who was still there, and uh, Eric Hendricks, who was um, my top-rated inside linebacker. Um, I think that they just decided that Collins was the best, the best value there, and that maybe the the linebacker. Or offensive guard situations weren't as bad as uh, the fans seem to believe, so I, I really like the pick. Um, it just all depends on Collins improving his technique and uh, being able to contribute as a number two cornerback.
3: Yeah, um, he he probably at that at that spot forty two overall. It, it definitely combined the best combination of value need and you know best available player really because he, he there's nothing been dying the talent I mean all the experts couldn't rave enough about how good he is and how he could potentially be the best corner in the draft um and and as far as dan Quinn's scheme go how he'll fit in he does like those big tall long corners and we didn't really have a lot of those guys to the point where we're talking about moving southward back to corner where he played a little bit in college because he is that type of long corner uh, and Trufont isn't isn't necessarily that type of long corner but he's a guy that's so good he can just he can he can probably step into any scheme at any team and do fine but Alfred was a guy that was already having his own struggles in the previous scheme and I don't know how confident they felt in him being a starting guy from day one cuz he's going to have to play a different type of cornerback than he has in the past and this pick it allows it gives them more flexibility cuz you know people have talked about Alfred possibly moving to safety now, but I don't know if that's necessary, but it does allow Alfred to, or really the whole defensive back, it's Alfred southward and Collins to move around and from nickel to right corner back to free safety. It gives them a lot of flexibility because the free safety, I just believe is going to be a, a revolving door probably all season, unless someone really steps up. And, you know, like you said, Collins, uh, he, he only started 10 games. So there's already that. in the raw experience, and but he'll he'll be he gets to watch Desmond Trufant, one of the best corners in the game, every day, and he get he's probably gonna get taken under the wing of Raheem Morris, who's a great defensive backs coach in this league. So he should be able to come in and start day one and be a quality corner. He'll have his bumps in the road at the beginning, but he can definitely step up and be one of the our better secondary players by year two. Uh, despite you know the the red flags that came with that pick but overall a great value pick at 42 not a lot of guys probably saw him falling that far
1: yeah i felt that uh this was a really necessary pick in the nfc south because he's a big long corner he's six foot two he has incredible length really fast good agility and in the nfc south he's He'll be going up against some of the biggest wide receivers in the NFL. You have Vincent Jackson, Mike Evans, both are 6'5". Marcus Colston is 6'5", Kelvin Benjamin, Uh, and then uh, Funchess, who the Panthers traded up to get the pick before ours, is also uh, a tight end converted receiver who's also really big. So we just needed another corner to tame those Hulking beasts of wide receivers in the NFC South. And uh, I don't think Alford, I don't think they trust Alford to be going up against those guys one on one. But, you know, he's an aggressive player. Uh, he's good for the zone, uh, really good for press coverage, which is something that Dan Quinn likes to run. And I felt that this was a really good pick, an underrated pick, uh, getting a first round talent in the second round.
0: It does seem to. Uh, look like we're going to just basically be emulating the Seattle defence, which I think a lot of us already thought we would be. The direction that we went on the draft day, particularly in the early days, it seems like, yeah, we're really trying to get just big and physical. I know fast and physical's been the phrase all off-season that Dan Quinn's been throwing around. Uh, I liked the pick. I was a bit caught off-guard by it, but I absolutely liked it. I would have thought we were going to take Kendricks there, but yeah, I, just a great pick. And you look at the defensive backs, which has been a really a revolving door of a couple of guys staying for a season or two seasons, and then going. It really looks like we've got a nice solid group, and we really shouldn't have to address at least the top three corners on the roster for you know five years, hopefully, as if everyone can stay healthy. So that's that was yeah quite a quite a good pick, and also a fair bit of value, as others have mentioned. The other aspect of the Jalen Collins pick is that the corner failed three drug tests while at LSU. ESPN yesterday suggested that the substance in question was marijuana and Collins is now subject to being entered into the league's substance abuse program. I've got a quote from Collins here. He says, I was making some bad decisions and not hanging out with the right people, but what I've told the Falcons and what I've been telling everybody is that that stuff is behind me. I've been making smarter decisions all this past year. Dan Quinn praised how Collins overcame setbacks and Thomas Dimitrov promised to surround the second round pick with, quote, good people uh, in the Falcons organization to keep him on track. James, does this seem like a risky pick based on Collins' history? And is there any way that this is going to backfire?
3: Uh, on the surface, you know, you could say, well, maybe this is why he fell and it. Very well could be. And we took a risk at almost the same spot on uh, Rashid Hageman last year. Um, but, you know, that quote, I have read similar things, that he's he's been on the right track, and that could be a reason why he wasn't starting as many games. But according to, you know, some of the reports that I've read, uh... He started to get more starts this past season after the drug thing was supposedly behind him. So everything is positive coming out of Dimitrov and Quinn and Colin's mouth right now. So hopefully this is all behind him and he can just look forward to his NFL career and finally put all his talents together. Yeah,
2: Um, you know, I was on the the Randy Gregory train for a while. So obviously, you know, I'm not willing to to bury a guy for past issues with, you know, cannabis or whatever. Um, I think it all depends on the culture that the player goes into, you know, uh, the coaching staff. Is it a stable coaching staff? Is it guys that, you know, are player centered, you know, and the locker room. Is it people that want to be there? People that are, that are good and that are leaders and the Falcons check all those boxes. You know, they have a solid leadership in place in both the coaching staff and the players, you know, um, so I think, I think Collins is telling the truth. That I think his problems are behind him. Um, and you know, if those problems are what happened to cause him to fall to the Falcons, well, you know, great. You know, it, the Falcons got a steal at 42, quite frankly, um, especially if he reaches his potential. So I think, uh, I think his problems are behind him. Just, uh, just don't let him hang out with Rashid Hagman at 420.
1: <laughs> yeah, um. Uh, There's always a risk uh, with players who did fail drug tests, but he's surrounded by the right people. Uh, The Falcon Filter, of course, has been in place for years. But I just want to say I'm really happy that Thomas Dimitrov has taken that risk. It shows that the Falcon Filter is deteriorating in a way, that he's going to go out there and grab the best player available, even though he made a few mistakes. You know, We're all human, we're all entitled to... A mistake here and there nobody's perfect so yeah and also you can't say that uh we passed on randy gregory because of the falcon filter because collins himself did fail the drug tests but also this shows that randy gregory he had deeper issues than just the failed marijuana test where he wouldn't have fallen so low but colin uh it's good to see that the filter isn't the end-all be-all in terms of uh picking our players
0: yeah, I've actually got my next question here was in regards to the filter. So, Adnan, you've addressed that pretty well. It seems like we're happy to take more uh, calculated risks. And I know Dan Quinn spoke of getting a tougher edge to the defence, trying to get... I've brought it up earlier, but more physical. Um, yeah, you mentioned it. It does seem like a step in the right direction. Hagman was another one where he'd had a little bit of a checkered past, and there are a couple of guys in the later round, a couple of the linebackers that we took last year. It does seem like... Uh, yeah, Atlanta are really moving towards trying to just put the best product on the field within reason, uh, ignoring the, off-seasons, uh, the off-field the stuff, I should say. So, yeah, I think that was actually quite a positive step, especially with Dan Quinn trying to emulate that really tough Seattle defense. Uh, moving on in the draft, the Falcons took their first offensive player in the third round, selecting Indiana RB Tevin Coleman. Coleman set the Hoosiers record rushing for uh, 2,036 yards last season. He's a one-cut back with explosiveness and speed. James, I'll go to you first. What does the Coleman pick bring to the Falcons? And uh, were you a fan of this pick?
3: Yeah, I was... Originally, um, I might have been more of a fan of Amir Abdullah. And, you know, I voiced that by picking Abdullah in the second round in the mock draft. But I mainly did that because I didn't expect so much talent to be there the second. But besides that, uh, Tevin Coleman is... He's a great talent. I mean, there's no denying the speed. I am mean, I watched the when I watch the tape I see anton Smith type of acceleration in speed just a run pass guys on it on a bigger frame which is exciting he's the definition of a north-south runner uh, he he brings something different than Devontae Freeman and Anton Smith and that's something that's important to bring to our running back stable if because we're probably going to lean more towards that running back by committee Uh you know, Devontae Freeman he can catch passes he's a little bit more shifty and getting in and out of cuts. He's a little bit more patient. But to Tevin Coleman, he's, he goes a million miles an hour all the time, which, people, that's been a knock, but that's not always a bad thing. He could he could very well end up being our, quote-unquote, goal line back. I mean, that's a, I don't like that phrase, but it, he's going to be a guy that can get tough yardage quickly. He just makes one cut, and he goes. And you know, the patience needs to be worked on. He can get there because the talent's insane. He had that year, his senior or his last year at Indiana. It was it was amazing. He ran for over two thousand yards on twelve hundred. That was coming on a broken toe. Not a lot of talent around them. All I ever hear is Indiana fans saying how bad the quarterback and offensive line was. And so for it, it, it kind of reminds you of that type of production with not a lot of talent it reminds you of Adrian Peterson's. Uh, MVP season on off the torn ACL running for all that yards basically carrying them to the playoffs Tevin Coleman basically carried Indiana's offense last year and he did it against uh, big teams too uh, he he was more productive against Ohio State than even Melvin Gordon was and he, he his average his average touchdown run last year was 41 yards which just shows you how explosive he can be and how fast he is so overall I really like the pick. It's another fantastic value in the third round. Not a lot of people had him falling that far, and I'm sure plenty of teams would have been all over him if he'd fallen a little bit farther. So I'm glad he's a Falcon because he's definitely a game changer on the offense.
1: Yeah, this is another really great pick, another home run pick by Thomas Dimitrov getting a home run hitter. Coleman has the foot speed, and when he gets into top gear, then there's few who can hang with him. But uh, I think he was hurt uh, by the fact that he did go to Indiana. If he went to a school on a uh, on a bigger microscope, a, a bigger name school, then I'm sure he would have definitely gone in the second round. I saw there were reports. Uh, Von McClure, the Falcons' ESPN uh, insider, said that uh, the Falcons were trying to trade up, possibly for Tevin Coleman in the second round. And the fact that he fell to us in the third round is. Absolutely great value. We have our running back to compliment Devontae Freeman, and we have a really good committee, and we ha- will have a really good rushing attack going into next year, which is something that'll probably be a linchpin of Dan Quinn's offense the way it was in Seattle under Pete Carroll.
2: Yeah. Um, echoing basically what these guys have said, uh, Kevin Coleman in the third was like a pipe dream scenario, really, for me. Um, He is a running back, probably my favorite running back um, in the entire draft. Um, And a lot of people, you know, he's in the Big Ten. You know, oh, there's two other running backs, you know, in the Big Ten that are both really good, you know, with Amir Abdullah and Melvin Gordon. And Tevin Coleman sometimes feels like the forgotten guy out of those three. Um, But one thing that Tevin Coleman didn't have that the other two programs had was a defense or a quality quarterback or really anything else. Um, Tevin Coleman was the entire offense of Indiana. I think several of their quarterbacks went down with injury. Um, I watched all the tape on Tevin Coleman. The fact that he was able to run for 2,000 yards behind that offensive line with no receiving game, very bad quarterback play, you know, considering they're probably their third or fourth string quarterback, and a defense that just was not good at all and frequently put them in bad situations is is pretty mind boggling. Um and honestly I feel like it's more impressive that he ran for two thousand yards than say Melvin Gordon, who had an awesome offensive line and, you know, some semblance of an of other people on offense. So people were stacking the box against Tevin Coleman essentially every play and he was still able to find yards. Um like uh, I think James mentioned, you know, his average touchdown length was forty one yards and he gets to the second level and no one's laid a hand on him no one's gonna lay a hand on him he's gonna take it to the house um he's basically a younger more versatile anton smith um my number three ranked running back i had him ahead of amir abdullah i had him ahead of jhi and duke johnson um and i love the pick um legitimate second round talent um the falcons were rumored to have wanted him with their second round pick um I'm glad that we didn't take him with our second round pick because I just don't think the running back need was that great. But for him to be available in the third with our pick, that's just an absolute steal. Um I did my first or second mock draft that I did this off season. I, I said, Oh, Tevin Coleman in the third. That would be great if he happens to fall. You know, not thinking, Oh, he's he's not really gonna fall. And he ends up falling. You know, it's it's insane. Um really, this might be one of the best picks in the draft if he if he reaches his ceiling. Um You know, people have said he's maybe not the best fit for the zone. Um, I actually think that's incorrect. Um, Indiana loved to run Tevin Coleman up the middle because he does have the size and the physicality to be successful between the tackles. But Tevin Coleman's bread and butter and where he scored all those touchdowns was when he ran to the outside zone and escaped. Um, And uh, I think the Falcons are going to use him in both facets. Um, He'll probably be our short yardage back just because no one else is really going to fill that role. Devonta Freeman's a little on the small side. Anton Smith's mainly a home run hitter. But the thing with Tevin Coleman is he's really good all around. So we could be running him with the middle two or three plays and then the fourth play we send him on an outside zone and he just outruns everyone. So I really I really can't talk enough about Tevin Coleman. He's, he's one of my favorite players in the entire draft and I'm just so psyched that we were able to pick him in the third round.
0: Yeah, when you see a guy with that level of quickness and top-end speed, you usually expect them to be quite limited and to be a sort of shake-and-bake guy who once he gets away, he's, he's gone. But Coleman really does bring a lot of balance. Uh, he caught 25 passes last year, which was pleasing. He led the nation with nine touchdowns of 30 or more yards. And uh, Kevin and James, you've both just mentioned there the 41-yard uh, average on his touchdowns, which is just ridiculous. Uh, quickly on Coleman, yeah, you've also mentioned it, that we heard him... I heard that the Falcons were perhaps targeting him in the second, so... It's got to be pleasing for the front office to have landed him in the third. And there was also a story going around that the Texans uh, were going to try and trade back into the first round to pick him. So that just vouches for his talent even further, although the Texans did pass on him in the second and third round. So take that for what it's worth. Um, Might have just been one of those smokescreen things that are out there at the moment or during the draft. But yeah, he's extremely talented. And I think if we can get him in a bit of space, all he needs is one crease and he's gone. So that would be that would be the ideal situation would be for him to have a really significant portion of the snaps. Uh, In taking Coleman, the Falcons passed on a few other highly regarded prospects, though, such as Edge, rusher Eli Harold, uh, wide receiver Chris Conley, who performed excellently at the combine and was quite a popular pick, and uh, TCU linebacker Paul Dawson, who could have filled that inside linebacker need for the Falcons. Did we go offence here too early, Kevin? I know you're extremely high on Coleman, but overall, if it hadn't have been Coleman, if it had been another running back, did we go offence too early? Um,
2: I think, I think it was borderline too early. I I thought we should have waited until the fourth to address running back because there are, there were so many good ones and a lot of them fell extremely far. Um, but I'm, I'm okay with it because Cohen was such a good value. Um, I'm going to go on record saying I don't, I don't particularly like Paul Dawson. His combine was quite bad. Um, and the coaches apparently didn't like him at all. He was a handful. So I wasn't really high on him to begin with. I know a lot of people loved that he was always making plays, which is obviously a good thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just feel like other than Tevin Coleman, the, the value on offensive guard wasn't great there. there I, I wasn't a fan of taking a wide receiver that early. I wasn't a fan of taking a wide receiver earlier than the fifth, honestly. But um, I just feel like you know Tevin Coleman was by far the best value there. You know, you're getting basically a borderline first round running back in the third. Um, and, you you know, you were also able to fill two of your biggest needs earlier on. I just feel like he was a luxury pick that was a perfect value at that time. So,
3: yeah, I'm glad the Falcons just pulled the trigger. Yeah, I, I don't think it was we necessarily went offense too early. You have the chance to get someone that can change the game that much in the third rounds and that we coveted even in the second round. you have to take it and it might have even been the highest player on their board passing on some other guys and you know we did in free agency we managed to sign some mid-tier pass rushers like o'brien schofield and that i don't know if eli harold was necessarily that important of a pick there especially with us already having beasley i'm not after after beasley Uh, Being taken at eight, plus all the guys that we signed in free agency, I wasn't upset at all with taking Tevin Coleman. We needed, it wasn't a huge need, but we needed a running back, someone that can bring something different than the other two guys we have. And Tevin Coleman certainly is going to be a home run threat, along with Antone. I feel sorry for defenses.
0: Yeah, I tweeted out during the draft that if you've got uh, Julio, Roddy, um, Coleman, Smith, and then Matt Ryan under center, you really need to make some decisions. And Matt Ryan, we've seen how good he is with the audible and just the pre-snap read. If he can see who you're doubling or see what you're going to go, it, I imagine it would be pretty easy for him to check into a play that's going to get us into a great situation. And we knew the offense was stacked. We're obviously just stacked even more now, which is a bit of a luxury, but it's a great place to be.
1: Yeah, And also, uh, speaking about Matt Ryan, Tevin Coleman is also a plus uh blocker as well. He on a, he will be able to block on play action plays and on uh passing plays. So that's even that's an, an even more of a plus for him and even more justification for taking him in the third round.
0: Yeah, and pass blocking is something that rookies struggle with typically in the past, but uh yeah, there was a lot of high praise for Coleman and his his pass blocking, which is fantastic. Now, we've just sp- uh, spoken about how stacked the offense is. There was another new toy for Kyle Shanahan, In the fourth round, uh, the Falcons selected wide receiver Justin Hardy from ECU. Hardy set the FBS record for receptions during his time in college and is an excellent slot option to replace Harry Douglas. Uh, He's not particularly fast at the top end, but he is exceptionally quick. So he uses his quickness to gain separation and he's got great soft hands, catches a lot of uh, of the passes towards him, not a lot of drops. He had the fastest three-cone drill amongst wide receivers at the combine. He had the second fastest amongst all players. And I'm really excited about the pick. I think Hardy's the sort of true slot receiver that the Harry Douglas probably really wasn't. You know, Douglas was more comfortable lighting up outside. Hardy with his size and a bit of toughness, and he's also extremely quick. I think he's excellent to be a possession slot receiver. Not sure how he's going to go in terms of the home run plays, but that's probably not what the Falcons were looking for here. Uh, also, I think, you know, without a top-tier tight end, Hardy was probably... Uh, well, he was definitely excellent value, but I also think he's going to be quite a big cog in the offence. Adnan, what were your thoughts on the pick?
1: Uh, this is just another case of the Falcons going and taking the best available pick who also fills a need. Uh, you mentioned it with Harry Douglas going, we needed someone to uh, replace him and, uh, Hardy comes in and he replaces Harry Douglas right now. And he is a potential replacement for Roddy white in the future. When Roddy does end up retiring and going into the Falcons ring of honor, this is just a really good pick. Uh, Hardy, 70% of his uh, catches were for first downs. He's an incredibly productive wide receiver. His production matched Amari Cooper's at Alabama. I'm not saying he's as good as Cooper, but but all in all, I don't have anything negative to say about this pick. And Matt Ryan is going to be really scary next year with Hardy, Julio, and Roddy uh, catching his passes with a legitimate run game behind him.
2: Yeah, I think um, Hardy was kind of almost a sleeper in a way. Um, I think teams were undervaluing him because of his lack of top-end speed, um, and you know he doesn't have ideal height for an outside receiver. So I think a lot of times when teams are looking at possession guys, they're looking for them to be like a number two option on the outside. Um, but what uh, what people don't realize is maybe Hardy isn't the fastest. You know, he ran like a four-five, not terribly slow, but not you know super fast either. What he did do that was extremely impressive was run a 6, six three-cone three drill, the fastest of any wide receiver at the combine. Um, and it's hard to understate how important that three cone is for a, a guy that's going to go over the middle. a guy's going to make a lot of cuts. Um, Justin Hardy, he he, ran, he didn't run a lot of routes. He kind of had like he ran a couple of routes a lot, and he was very good at the routes that he did run. You know, obviously in the NFL, he's going to have to learn more routes, especially playing in the slot, but um, very, very good instincts. Um, he always was trying to find ways to make his way back to the quarterback. Um, you know, Shane Carden. a lot of people talk about him being good. He he was okay. Um, I watched a lot of tape on Hardy the other day, and Shane Carden routinely overthrew Hardy, underthrew Hardy, threw the ball way away from Hardy, and Hardy found ways to get those balls, and... He found a way, you know, he he continued to have a very productive season. Like someone mentioned, he he broke the college football record for most receptions in a season, which is insane. Um, He's just an extremely competitive player. He's the type of player you want in the slot. He's a tough guy. Someone who is capable of going up and getting passes and is not afraid to take a hit. He's a good blocker, um, which may lead to him getting more snaps, because we know Kyle Shanahan loves to run two two tight ends because he likes the extra blocking, but if Hardy's a good blocker, you know, he might be just as good on the screen as one of our tight ends. Um, I think Hardy has a great chance to come in right away and become our number three. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I was kind of underwhelmed when the pick first came in, but after doing more research on him, very impressed with his tape.
3: Yeah, as, uh, as Kevin said, all-time leader in receptions in NCAA football history, which is huge. And the tape backs it up. You watch the tape, and all you can see is his hands are glue. It's just he catches everything. One-handed catches. I mean, his he's got 10-inch hands, which is quite above average for NFL receivers. So that's always a nice bonus. And you know, he's he's quick. And this is a guy that we took. Pro- NFL.com had him as a fourth or fifth-round pick. So we took him. About probably where he should have gone, and so this is our first real not. Oh, we got like a second round talent, even though he could end up being that way. But he's he's he has great hands. He's quick. He's not the tallest. He's not the biggest. He's not gonna uh, outrun you or anything like that. But he's gonna he's gonna be hugely reliable on third downs, and that's something that's nice. Uh, Harry Douglas, although you know, I love hate the guy. Sometimes he's he wasn't always the most reliable receiver um i don't want to get into specifics like the nfc championship but it will be nice to have justin hardy he, he's probably gonna i mean he won't get the spot above hankerson on the depth chart right away but i don't think it'll take long for him to be the slot guy probably by week one uh he should be a great player for us. fourth round all you're looking for at this point is to get Guys that can contribute from day one, and he's definitely one of those guys, especially if the injury bug hits Julio or Roddy again. He can come in and be another reliable third-round target that we need, especially since tight end isn't necessarily a strong point. So overall, good, solid pick. Not necessarily the the highest-rated player we could have got here, but still going to be a reliable player for the Falcons.
0: Moving on to the fifth round, the next pick is one that I personally am really excited for. I know, Adnan, you are extremely excited for this one, and it's been a real positive vibe throughout the fan base about this fifth round pick. We got an absolute steal. It's hard to grade drafts, you know, a day after the fact, or even a season after the fact, you know, you really have to look at it down the line two, three years, but just in terms of projections, in terms of where this guy was going to go, what sort of talent and what he brings to the table, uh, nose tackle Grady Jarrett from Clemson. Big Beasley's teammate at Clemson he's come out at the same time we've taken him with the first pick of the fifth round we traded up to get him uh a nice part of the story is that he's the son of former Falcon legend Jesse Tuggle so that's you know going to be great for the fan base but uh Kevin I'll go to you first what were your thoughts on this pick
2: I mean the biggest steal of the entire draft is what several uh NFL analysts are saying and it's what I'm saying um Grady Jarrett was one of the top defensive tackles on my entire draft board, um, and you know when I saw that he was around in the fifth, I was like, "This is insane! Like, I can't believe people have passed on him." And the reason that people passed on him is because he's he's listed as a nose tackle, like you said, um, and a lot of time, and he is basically a prototypical nose tackle in his in the way that he plays. Um, you know, I think he had the highest run-stop percentage of any defensive tackle or nose tackle in the entire college football. Uh, college football. Um, the reason that he fell is because of his lack of size. He's only six, you know, I think he's like six foot and a half, you know, almost six one. Um, he's not quite as big... He's not quite big enough to be a nose tackle in a 3-4 in a f- a defense, which is why a lot of 3-4 teams are probably passing on him. Um, what he's a perfect absolutely perfect pick for, and a lot of people are, are calling him a three technique, and I don't know that that's the only thing he can play. I think for the Falcons, he's going to be that one tech, similar to Paul Solii. Um In the 4-3 under, though, you don't need your nose tackle to necessarily be as big. Um, so what he'll do, I think, in his first year at the very beginning of the season, is he'll come in for Paul Solii in third downs in passing situations. Um, and uh, he'll take over for Potentially, long term. Even um, he's he's basically an incredible football player. He's just great at what he does. He's a little undersized. That's 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 the only knock. Like if you read, you know, NFL.com, CBS, they all say, oh, he's undersized. Uh, you know, that's about that's about all you can say negative about him. Um, I mean, he's got great technique. He's explosive off the snap. Um, uh, somebody on the Falcoholic did a uh, a comparison of him to Geno Atkins, and the only thing Geno Atkins did better than Jarrett in the combine was his forty yard dash, and um, the forty yard dash doesn't matter squat for defensive linemen. Um, Jarrett, I think, actually had a slightly faster ten yard split of one six nine, I think, to to Geno Atkins one seven, um, and in every other measurement. Grady Jarrett was right there with Geno Atkins. And if the Falcons can get Geno Atkins or something like him in the fifth round, that is that is an insane steal. Um you know, pair up Hageman and, and Jarrett on third downs with, you know, Beasley and Claiborne or another pass rusher outside. I mean, that is two great interior penetrators with size and two great edge rushers. I mean, he he could be I mean, all said and done, one of the best picks in this entire draft. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy about it.
1: This is my favorite Falcons pick in years. I couldn't believe that he fell to the fifth round, and I'm sure Quinn and Dimitrov couldn't believe it. I'm sure they were, they were licking their lips when they saw him falling and they saw him get to the fifth round. They immediately traded up, gave up a sixth rounder to go up to him. He's a second-round projection on NFL.com. He, uh, Kevin, already mentioned it. He has—he's really explosive. His—I just can't believe that he fell to us. Uh, according to Lance Zeroline, he's one of the safest uh, prospects in the entire draft. Uh, Zero Line is an NFL.com columnist. He put him uh, in a class with Brandon Scherf, Amari Cooper, Leonard Williams, and Melvin Gordon as the safest players in the draft. And in the last sentence, in the analysis for Jarrett, he said, Mark my words, Jarrett will be giving NFL centers the blues for years to come. And the fact that we got him in the fifth round is insane value. And we just got the steal of the draft, in my opinion.
3: It's, a, it's exciting to take. Falcons royalty Jesse Tuggle's son when Justin Tuggle came out of Kansas State a few years ago a lot of Falcons fans went in him but when when Grady's name was called uh, at the at the draft I had to do a double take because I had heard the name I'd seen it in mock drafts and stuff at the second and third round and I was like is this the same guy I had to double check and it was the same guy so definitely a steal in the fifth round Giving up a six, I don't even mind that at all. That's fine. We still ended up taking seven players. So there's there's not much more to be said. He's going he's gonna to be a great interior pass rusher. He's Jesse Tuggle's son, and he was a steal of the draft.
0: Yeah, and just because he was such great value, fans still need to temper their expectations. You know, he's not going to come in day one and necessarily start. Uh, Kevin mentioned how he might be used on a rotational basis, especially on third downs. He looks like he's going to be a contributor, but just you know, he just because we've got high expectations now, uh, we still need to just keep in mind he's a rookie. You know, don't get carried away. But apart from the size, yeah, there doesn't seem to be an injury. There didn't seem to be any off-field problems. He was actually a captain uh, on Clemson defense, so that obviously helps for Thomas Dimitrov, who's been known to really favour captains and high-character guys. Poor attitude doesn't seem the case, you know, because he's captain and everything. So. Basically, it looks, we've all said it, it looks like we got the steal of the draft. Um, again, what are you going to make of that one day after the draft? We'll have to see a couple of games into his career, we'll have to see a couple couple of seasons down the line, but yeah, it, it, it just looked like an exceptional pick.
3: I'd just like to say about Grady Jarrett, uh, it was a very good of the Falcons organization. We reached out to him immediately after finding out that his house had burned down on a Friday night, and that was a... Pretty tragic situation for everyone involved there, but uh, Jesse Tuggle got to announce his son at the draft, and then Arthur Blank immediately reached out to rectify that situation and make sure the right people are getting involved. So I'd just like to point out that that was was good on the Falcons organization to do all that.
0: Yeah, correct, and all the best to Grady during a pretty tough time, but also quite an exciting time with the draft. I believe he watched the third day at his cousin's house, because like you mentioned, their house uh, burned down. So, yeah, all the best to Grady Jarrett and congratulations on the Falcons organisation. We'll try and surround him with good people and get him through that and hopefully he can be really productive for the team coming up. Uh, lastly, we traded away our sixth round pick to move up for Jarrett. So, lastly, we have our two seventh round picks. Offensive tackle Jake Rogers from Eastern Washington and defensive back Akeem King from San Jose State. Despite his versatility, Rogers will be trained at tackle, according to the team. And similarly, Akeem King will be treated as a cornerback despite some experience in saf- at, at the safety position. Seventh-round picks are essentially low-risk projects, and I feel like I've grabbed two pretty athletic guys here. You know, we've had some good projects in the past that have turned out in the seventh round. Jason Snelling's probably your best-case scenario for a seventh-round pick in recent Falcons history. Uh, hopefully they can turn into some quality backups and maybe even a little bit more going forward. The versatility of both of them is nice to have, and it'll be good to have them in camp at least, give the front office a bit of a uh, bit of flexibility. Does anyone have any thoughts on these two picks? I mean, were there guys left that you'd rather have... Rather have had, or are we trusting the front office saw something here and they think there's something to develop?
3: Uh, I'll say that uh, I had King King as my 249th pick in the mock draft, which is the only one I got right. Go figure. Uh, but yeah, he's he he has a lot of physical traits. He's tall. He's at least six one. I've seen him listed at different heights, but yeah, he's six one or six two, and he can play corner and safety. Dan Quinn said, like you said, they're gonna play him at corner to start just another long guy in the secondary definitely should be able to compete Uh, and the interesting thing I saw was that uh, the Seahawks and the Raiders and us we were the teams to privately work them out and they all now with after the coaching turnover uh, we and the, the Raiders now have Seahawks personnel within the coaching staff so that was just interesting to note that Those type of tie-ins all were interested in him. So hopefully he can come in and be the type of secondary guy that we need. And as far as Rodgers goes, he was a former tight end at Washington State and then transferred to Eastern Washington to play tackle. And he's just going to be solid depth. Maybe he can do something one day, but there's not much to be said for Rodgers.
2: Yeah, the biggest thing about uh, Jake Rodgers is that we got another Jay Rodgers on the team. I feel like that's very important um, for the success of the Falcons. Um, but, uh, yeah, other than that, I don't know a whole lot about him. He's a guy with good size. He's rumored to have pretty good athleticism. I mean, James mentioned that, uh, he played tight end. So obviously he's got some quickness. Um, Dan Quinn mentioned at his press conference that he thinks Rogers has the versatility and athleticism along with the foot quickness to play either left or right tackle. Um, so he could be, you know, potentially a good swing tackle. Um, Falcons seem to have done well lately with like undrafted linemen, like Ryan Trader last year. You know, came in and played really well at right tackle and was a surprise pretty much to everyone. So if they can get, you know, the next Ryan Schrader um, and Jake Rogers, um, great. The more exciting of the two seventh rounders, though, is definitely Akeem King. Um, he is a great athlete. He's kind of like southward in a way in that he was just a phenomenal athlete. Like, he ran... He's a six six one, I think, like 2'10"-ish safety. He ran in the the high 4'3s. So a really phenomenal athlete. Um, what really stood out to me watching his very limited tape that was out there, great gunner on special teams, like, really good. Um, and the you know how the Falcons love to have their depth players be on special teams um just a fantastic special teams player um and Quinn mentioned that he wants to play him at corner and you know the Seahawks are notorious for taking the late round guys and turning them into stars Byron Maxwell sixth round pick you know uh, Richard Sherman fifth round pick maybe Akeem King can come in and be the next you know uh late round guy that Dan Quinn coaches up um to become, you know, a contributor. All the Falcons really need from him is, you know, depth. And if he can play well on special teams, he'll probably win himself a roster spot this year. So um, I think Kim has, King has a good chance to be a difference maker in the future. Um, Jake Rogers, you know, maybe. I think he'll have a tougher road because he'll have to beat out, um, you know, he'll have to beat out Holmes potentially for that swing tackle role and he'll have to beat out some of the other guys. But, um yeah, I, th- I think uh, you know they're about all that you can ask for with your seventh round picks and that they're guys with potential. You know, you're not really risking a whole lot at this point in the draft. So,
1: Yeah, and uh, Akeem King, he also likes to uh, work in press coverage, which is something that the Falcons like to do. So if he does win a starting corner job, or if he does win a cornerback job somewhere down the line, that's something to take note of. Rodgers, uh, he's there for depth. He has... Uh, He has some fluid motion in addition to that athleticism. And you know how the Falcons always have uh, their O-linemen getting injured. That happens every year. So that could uh, carve out a spot for Jake Rogers to be some depth if uh, that happens again, which hopefully it won't. But everything has been said. Uh, Two guys, uh, seventh rounders. You you can't uh, expect much more from the seventh round than that.
0: So having looked at every pick and having seen what we needed going into the draft and then compared to where we are now that we've come out of the draft, what? how does everybody rate it? Was, is it a success? Where do, we, where do we go from here? Adnan, I'll go to you first. How did you find the draft?
1: I think it was Thomas Dimitrov's best draft since 2008, the Matt Ryan one. Well, looking at it a day later, of course, we won't be able to know for sure until a few years down the line. I think it was a spectacular draft. We got spectacular value. Coleman, second round value in the third round. Beasley, who fell to our laps. Grady Jarrett, like I said, my favorite pick in years. Fifth round pick with second round talent. I'd give this draft an A-plus the day after. It was just the future's bright for the Falcons.
3: When I look at uh, the draft after a draft, I try to be unbiased and but even when I, I just look over all the all seven picks and it's just every single one we hit the mark, so it, it's hard for me to give anything lower than an A. So as far as letter grade goes, I'm just going to give it an A. Uh, and we covered all our needs. We didn't really have to move around much. Obviously we moved up to get uh, Grady Jarrett in the fifth, but that was that was insane value. So there's nearly you can't really fault anyone. But yes, overall we addressed a lot of needs. We added a lot of depth and we We covered pretty much everything that we could hope for in the draft
2: yeah i'm I'm pretty much on the same page with with these guys um i I would only give it an a minus because the, the offensive line situation is still unsettled um but you know like it there were so many needs for the Falcons going into this draft. it's totally unrealistic to think that you can fill all of them like. We didn't go after a free safety, you know, we didn't go after an offensive guard with starting potential, um, but, you know, all things considered, you can't really get very much better than this as far as your drafts go. I mean, Mick Beasley, obviously, probably the best pure pass rusher in the draft, didn't have to trade up for him. He was just there. Great. Second round, you know, Jalen Collins falls all the way to the Falcons, phenomenal value. Potentially, you know, a number one cornerback in the league to pair him with another true number one cornerback in the league in Desmond Trufant, you know, phenomenal. Uh, Tevin Coleman, second round running back, right behind Melvin Gordon in my book as far as good running backs go. Still available in the third, even though we probably wanted him in the second. Great. Um, Justin Hardy was the only one I felt like wasn't necessarily a slam dunk. I like Hardy a lot. I think he's going to be a good player you know decent value there um not you know a crazy good pick but you know you don't need crazy good picks for all of your draft picks um and great Jarrett, i mean you can't do it better than that i mean i don't think there's been a vet- better value pick by the falcons ever i'm not i'm not 100 sure on that but you know depending on what happens with Jarrett, he could turn out to be one of those steals you know like on on par with you know Tom Brady in the fifth, you know, that's it's a pretty bold statement, but, you know, this guy has so much talent, it's, it's insane, and, you know, with, with the seventh rounders, you know, you can't really say too much about seventh round picks, but, you know, they're two guys with upside, so I gave it an A-minus just because I would have preferred to take an offensive guard in there somewhere, but, you know, all things said and done, can't really do much better than that.
0: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of draft grades, in terms of letter grades, especially not day after, as I've mentioned, but it is it is really hard to not feel optimistic about this class. Like, the team, they added five players uh, in the first five rounds who could really see some significant playing time on day one, and I can't really recall that in recent drafts. It usually feels like we'll draft a guy on the fourth or fifth day where you're thinking alright, they're a bit of a project, and maybe they'll start contributing two, three years down the line. Uh, this year, these guys all seem like guys who are ready to go in day one. Like They are going to get better, they are going to add more polish, but it pretty much seems like we've drafted five guys who can come in and contribute, and that'll go a long way to correcting the problems that the team faced last year. I've got a couple of quotes here, just from the from the media. Bleacher Reports' Matt Bowen said, quote, if I had to pick one club that leaves Chicago with a group of prospects that stand above the rest, I have to go with the Atlanta Falcons, which is extremely pleasing. Uh, the other one I liked was uh, Will Brinson from CBS. He described Dan Quinn as, quote, a walking fire emoji right now. So that is... Pretty positive feedback from some neutral observers. Uh, It's nice to see the Falcons in in the spotlight for a bit, you know. We've been out of the spotlight for a few years, and even when we were good, a lot of the criticism amongst the fan base was that the media don't pay us enough attention, but the Falcons seem like the consensus pick to have at least had one of the top three drafts, if not the top draft. Uh, One of the few criticisms of the Falcons draft was the failure to address the left guard position. I know Kevin's just mentioned that there. The free safety position also looks a little bit up in the air, and we didn't pursue a tight end, which was possibly a need coming in. Uh, What do you guys feel are the biggest holes left on the team? Kevin, I'll go to you first.
2: The biggest hole, its a good question. Um, It's hard to say because obviously the team feels confident about their left guard situation going in. Um, I'm going to defer to them on that one. trust on that is hard after 2013 but uh i'm gonna defer to them and say they have it under control you know maybe sam baker is able to stay healthy and play or Khan suddenly becomes good you know whatever um so after that i think it's free safety um because the depth there is non-existent um you basically got desmond southward sky high potential Not really sure if he can come in and start this year. I would like that because he's an insane athlete. And if you watched any tape on him last year, you know, in his limited playing time, the dude flies around the field. He's so fast. It's insane. Um, But, uh, you know, Charles Godfrey, we have no idea if he's going to be solid again or if he's going to be what he was in 2014, which was just disappointing. Like a shell of his former self. Um, I would take the over on him returning to somewhat decent play, but it's not really... What you're looking for in your free safety and Dan Quinn's defense, you need someone that's going to step in and play well. Um, so yeah, I think free safety is the biggest need. Um, we could look to find someone, maybe when cuts come out, um, with a tight end as well. That being a need, I, I don't think it's a huge need. I think the tight end class was pretty weak this year. I'm sure we'll bring in someone in in UDFA, you know, that can do something. Um, but I think, you know, Tololo. Moaki and, uh, and Jacob Tam can be a decent, not great tight end group, but I think they'll be enough to, for us to get by.
1: I don't... Um, like, uh, like someone said earlier, there's just so many needs that we had that we couldn't really fill them all with the draft. Kevin mentioned the free safety position. We talked about in the last podcast how important uh, the free safety position is in the cover three scheme, that center fielder like what uh, Earl Thomas does in Seattle. Uh, I'd go with the free safety position because it's so important in Dan Quinn's scheme, but also I'm not uh, too high on the tight end position. Uh, Toy Lolo, Tammy, and Moyaki. You know, uh, Toy Lolo was not very good last year. Tammy and Moyaki came here as, uh, as almost minimum uh, salaries, and uh, Kyle Shanahan's offensive scheme it uh, generally likes to work with two tight ends so you know we will have some holes going into next year but hopefully we'll be able to address them with some undrafted free agents who turn out to be gems and uh, hopefully some uh, some players will stick out uh, above the rest.
3: The the top three needs that everyone seems to talk about here is a left guard, free safety and tight end and as far as left guard goes uh, Sam Baker had the potential to be one of those June 1st cuts uh, but with how free agency and the draft has gone we haven't really been able to find a suitable replacement at an after re- for replacing Justin Blaylock so and we can afford the luxury of hoping Baker gets back to his former self and can maybe kick inside and play a new position if not it's going to be an open competition unless we assign someone which I doubt, but, uh, I mean, same thing as free safety. There's potential at both spots. A young guy is going to have to step up or a veteran is going to have to become them former, their former selves. A free safety, uh, Desmond Southward and Akeem King both have potential, but Dan Quinn has said for both of them that he'd prefer to work with them at cornerback at least first. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Robert Alfred's more of just a, a fan sport speculation moving to free safety I wouldn't count on it uh, but yeah with free safety hopefully a young guy steps up uh, for tight end. I really like the group I just hope that everyone can stay healthy Moiaki has been an injury problem in the past uh, and toy Lolo still has potential I mean how can you not like a guy that's six foot eight but he's making it very easy to hate him with all the drop passes um but yeah Jacob Tammy is the solid guy hopefully those guys can all stay healthy because the group doesn't have anything behind those three. Uh, and then another rated need would probably be linebacker, uh, like inside linebacker specifically. But that's something that we have a lot of. We don't necessarily have any top-heavy talent there, but there's there's a lot of guys like Print Shimbo and Marquis Spruel, guys that can be consistent if someone wants to get hurt.
0: It'll be interesting to see where the Falcons go with some of those needs. Uh, one option that we've actually had quite a good success rate in the past with uh, is the undrafted free agency class. So guys that aren't drafted and you can bring them in as a priority free agent. There's been a host of players that weren't picked that have already been linked with Atlanta, uh, as well as some pretty popular names like Wes Saxton, Zach Zenner, I know Adnan mentioned last week as perhaps a sleeper option. Guys yep. like Taiwan Jones and Nick Marshall, I think they've already latched on elsewhere but uh, the Falcons did bring, or have begun to bring in an undrafted free agency class. Adnan, we'll start with you. Is there an undrafted guy that the Falcons have or that perhaps someone who's still out there yet to sign that you're looking at that is a name to keep an eye on?
1: Uh, Well, the guy that we have signed that I'm uh, pretty excited about, it's uh, Shane Wynn. He is a Hoosier. uh, Like Coleman, uh, went to Indiana. He ran a 4-2-9 40 time at his uh, pro day. And he just—he's not gonna win a starting receiving job. Not at first, maybe, maybe somewhere down the uh, road, who knows? But uh, the potential really lies in the punt returning and kick returning. He's an experienced returner. He has that blazing speed. He could uh, learn from the greatest ever, Devin Hester, because you know Hester is getting up there in age. He won't be here forever. So it's just a guy uh, somewhere down the road who has some potential to be good in special teams. Shane Wayne.
2: Yeah. um, Someone that I really like that I'm super surprised didn't get drafted. I'm actually pretty much blown away that he didn't get drafted was uh, Kevin White out of TCU. You know, not the fastest corner, not the biggest corner, but he just has great um, technique, you know, um, he just was so good at the Senior Bowl. Just so surprising. Um, he he just kind of his main issue is his size. He's only five nine. Um, he's just he just was surprisingly good at, in coverage against some of the top receivers that he played against. You know, on that TCU defense that was one of the better units in college football last year. Um, you know, he could be potentially an option at uh, nickel corner or slot corner um his main issue is probably that size I, I like him a lot though so we'll see if he can seize a backup job for the falcons or maybe make it on the practice squad
3: those are definitely the the two more popular undrafted guys that we picked up uh, I just for the sake of keeping things different i'll go with uh, derek akune who's a inside linebacker from north texas uh, not necessarily because he does anything super special and he's probably a guy that didn't deserve to get drafted necessarily, but uh, after the success rate of Warlow and Juplo Bartu a couple of years ago, uh, you just never know with how we develop linebackers. Hopefully he could come in and provide at least solid competition and possibly take a spot of, uh, say, Marquise Bruel and if he earns it in camp.
0: I think a thing that Akune brings to the table, which Falcons fans are really going to get behind, is probably one of the best Twitter handles I've seen as well going around, which is a positive sign, uh, at Akune Matata, which is very good, <laughs> so congratulations to him for that. Yeah, I had Kevin White as well for mine, uh, which Kevin just mentioned, at five nine. the size is probably the concern, I mean, Kevin's just addressed it, so yeah, I, I know the Falcons have in the past carried a lot of defensive backs. So I'll be interested to see what they do there. I think he's actually got a chance to latch on as a 6th corner, you know, 6th or 7th corner on the roster. Uh, overall, draft weekend, the undrafted free agency class, the needs that we filled, who we ignored. Successful draft, yep.
3: Yep. yep. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Uh, we touched on it slightly earlier, but the left guard spot seems the only position on the roster with no obvious day one starter. As I see it, there are three or four options to start the season currently on the roster. There's Sam Baker, Peter Cons, uh, the new free agent, Mike Persons, and uh, James Stone, perhaps, is another one. Stone had a great year last year as an undrafted free agent, he ended up having to start some games at centre. Cons has some success in the zone-blocking scheme at the past. Persons is quite a natural left guard, and as for Baker, you know he could revitalise his career as a guard. That would be terrific, and it would actually help provide some value for the Falcons from that 2008 class, some even more, uh, even more value. So, Adnan, I'll go to you. Uh, where are we going to go with the left guard, or is there somebody on the roster you say who's really going to pull away from that, Pat? Uh, I think
1: the guy who has the tools, uh, who has the advantage as of right now is Peter Kahns because he, uh, he did play guard. He played right guard his rookie season. He hasn't been the best player since we took him in the second round out of uh, Wisconsin, but uh, I'm hoping that he'll be able to that he'll be able to take a step forward in his career and win out that left guard spot. And if he could, that would be huge for the offense.
3: I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Sam Baker that he can do something. I think for as much money as he's getting paid, the coaching staff would like to give him the first crack at it, uh, barring an injury to Jake Matthews or Ryan Schrader, because those are slated to be the tackles right now. But... Robert Gallery was someone that had, I mean, he was not that great ever in his career, but he had a slight uh, revitalized career after he kicked inside the guard. So perhaps uh, Sam Baker could follow other players like that that were possibly bust coming out. Uh, So hopefully, I I do like Sam Baker's chances. I want to see him succeed.
2: Yeah, with, with Sam Baker, you know, everyone likes to hate on him fact was he had a pretty good 2012 season um which you know unfortunately that was his contract year and td was like oh one good season okay we'll pay you like lots of money um but uh i think they're gonna try everything they can to get sam baker somewhere in the starting lineup um you know he's got a shot obviously having the foot quickness to play left tackle he has the ability to play guard um I think they'll give him a, a good crack at it, and that's, of course, assuming he's healthy enough to do so. Um, you know, um, but I think Peter Cons will be heavily involved. They're going to try to squeeze some value out of him, too. Um, Kahn's did have success in the zone-blocking scheme at Wisconsin. He did play right guard, as um, was mentioned, but he was not good at right guard ever. Um, so maybe left guard is better for him. I don't know. Um, and, you know, we signed a bunch of guys. We signed um, Mike Person. Um, he has a little bit of experience, and we also signed Jared Smith, uh, who I believe was a, a defensive tackle convert to offensive line, kind of like Perplogel. Um So, yeah, we have we have some options. I think Sam Baker, if healthy, will get the first shot at it. But uh, Cons also has a chance. Um, ideally, we wouldn't be going with either of them as the, the ideal option. But uh, I think left guard was just the spot that kind of got pushed to the back burner this season. So we'll just have to, to deal with it.
0: Yeah, and I think we've all discussed how positive and how highly regarded uh, we feel about that class. So to not address the left guard, but you know we've got three or four really good options there. I think Baker's probably the best of the lot. Kevin, you mentioned if health, that's always been the concern with Baker. But I think we're in a better position perhaps than we thought, uh, especially considering how thin the offensive line talent got around our picks. There were a lot of little mini runs on offensive line before we picked uh, last week on the podcast, we discussed Desmond Southwood being cross-trained at cornerback and safety. Uh, it's come out, again, that they continue to plan on using him as a cornerback going forward. This week, reports have surfaced that Tyson Jackson has been playing defensive end exclusively at the minicamp, as opposed to his role last year, where they tried to play him inside as a bit of a tackle. Uh, suddenly, the depth on the edges is looking quite good. Kevin, I know you've got a pretty strong opinion about how we misused Tyson Jackson last year. I'll go to you first. Is there anything anything to look at here?
2: Well, yeah, Tyson Jackson is a defensive end, um, so it's no big surprise that he's getting defensive end snaps. Um, I think the surprising thing is maybe that they've actually used him as a four-three defensive end. But if they are running the four-three under, which you know I'm assuming they will run that on some snaps because Quinn loves four-three under, and I think it's fantastic defense for the Falcons personnel. Um, the The five-tech defensive end in the four-three under is a three is basically functioning as a three-four defensive end um and tyson jackson in kansas city was their their strong side run stopping defensive end um he's not a tackle he's not an interior player he's he's a an outside run stuffer and i think that's exactly where the falcons will have him when they when they start the season um great at stopping the run obviously a disappointment as a pass rusher he was a disappointment as a pass rusher at kansas city too um but uh you know on the three four under or the four three under, excuse me, is uh is offset to, to the weak side of the formation. So your your five tech strong side defensive end has to be able to hold up. And Tyson Jackson is the perfect guy to take on people in, in the run game over there. So I think that's where he'll be, and I think he'll have a good year.
1: Yeah, uh, Kevin uh, pretty much said it. Uh, Tyson Jackson was getting misused last year you know hopefully uh if played in the right position he will have a more productive year he will be good this season and let's not forget Tyson Jackson was a top 3 pick in the draft before so the talents definitely there uh as for Southward I hope they do keep him at free safety now we did address the cornerback need in the second round we have some cornerbacks and Southward is just so Southward is just so um athletic that I'm hoping that he will be able to
3: come in and be an effective safety from day one. Tyson Jackson, he should be our our red Bryant that was for Seattle under Quinn and Gus Bradley. Uh, He should come in and fill that role just fine. Uh, He'll have, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it'll be Brooks Reed playing linebacker behind him who does have some pass rush ability. So it does help balance out Tyson Jackson's lack of pass rush ability with a solid linebacker behind him. But I, I'm excited to see how we use Tyson Jackson because he is getting paid quite a bit of money. So I'd like to see him be successful and realize his talent.
0: So we've covered quite a lot today. Uh, obviously, the draft was the biggest story. There's a nice undrafted free agent class for fans to look at and maybe circle a few names to have a look at down the line. We're all pretty positive on the draft. We feel that The other team's drafts, you know, specifically in the division, perhaps weren't as good as they could have been. So maybe the Falcons have started to pull away and are looking towards a little bit more success than expected in 2015. Uh, Does anybody have any additional comments or perhaps a good upcoming article this week that we should be looking out for on bloggingdirty.com?
2: Yeah, um, speaking of uh, Jalen Collins, um, I'm working on a piece right now that's basically examining the impact that Collins will have on the Falcons secondary. So I'll give you a little nugget from that. Is that I think uh Desmond Southward is gonna stay at free safety and Collins is potentially gonna come in and start from day one uh alongside Truffont. Uh I don't know that he will be great out of the gate or even good out of the gate, but uh I think the Falcons wanna get him in and involved as soon as possible.
1: Uh I just wanna say that uh my comment of my prediction of us going twelve and four is looking a lot better this week than it was last week.
3: It yeah, absolutely is. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get Optimism. to in last week, but yeah, this is this is the most optimistic that I've been after a draft in a while. I mean, I'm always optimistic, even though 2013 and 2014 were rough. Uh, but I just, I, I every year I, I fail to see how we how we don't do well, and even in 2013, 2014, we were in a lot of games, and injuries just killed us. So as long as the injury bug stays away, please. Can we go back to 2012 and the years prior to that? It, I, I just, I think people are just sleeping on us. I, I don't, I don't. This is a team that has the foundation that has proven to be successful, and I think there's no reason to believe we won't be contenders in the NFC South and possibly even the entire NFC.
0: So, James, last week the predictions ranged from nine and seven to Adnan's 12 and four. Uh, if you've had a look at the schedule, or if you having a look at how the roster's being constructed, where can you see us going?
3: uh last season i i just i failed to see how we could do worse than nine and seven and of course we did we went six and ten but i'll chalk that one up to injuries but this season i think i think ten and six i feel better coming into this season than last season so i think ten and six would be a solid floor for us and just we have we have the the all-star quarterback we just need to the, the defense hopefully will step up, and I believe it can. Dan Quinn is going to lead that defense to be, if, it, if it's, if it, let's put it this way, if the defense finishes top 16 in most of the categories, then I think we're, we're going to the playoffs.
0: So that's another episode in the books. Thanks for listening to Potting Dirty, and if you'd like to get in contact with us via Twitter, we can be found at Blogging Dirty or through the website bloggingdirty.com. In addition to SoundCloud, Potting Dirty is now available through the iTunes Store and through several podcast apps on the Android devices. For Adnan, Kevin and James, I'm Harrison. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of Potting Dirty.